chapter number 25 of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arthur Piantadosi. Chapter 25. Wherein this history reverts to Mr. Fagin and company. While these things were passing in the country workhouse, Mr. Fagin sat in the old den, the stain from which Oliver had been removed by the girl. Brooding over a dull, smoky fire, he held a pair of bellows upon his knee, with which he had apparently been endeavouring to rouse it into a more cheerful action. But he had fallen into deep thought, and with his arms folded on them, and his chin resting on his thumb, fixed his eyes abstractly on the rusty bars. At a table behind him sat the awful dodger, Master Charlie Bates and Mr. Chitling, all intent upon the game of whist, the artful taking dummy against Mr. Bates and Mr. Chitling. The countenance of the first-named gentleman, particularly intelligent at all times, acquired great additional interest from his close observation of the game and his attentive perusal of Mr. Chitling's hand, upon which, from time to time, as occasion served, he bestowed a variety of witness glances, wisely regulating his own play by the result of his observations upon his neighbour's cards. It being a cold night, the dodger wore his hat, as indeed was often his custom within doors. He also sustained a clay pipe between his teeth, which he only removed for a brief space when he deemed it necessary ply for refreshment to a cold pot upon the table, which stood ready filled with gin and water for the accommodation of the company. Master Bates was also attentive to the play, but being of a more excitable nature than his accomplished friend, it was observable that he more frequently applied himself to the gin and water, and moreover indulged in many jests and irrelevant remarks, all highly unbecoming a scientific rubber. Indeed, the artful, presuming upon their close attachment, more than once took occasion to reason gravely with his companion upon these improprieties. All of which remonstrances Master Bates received in extremely good part, merely requesting his friend to be blowed, or to insert his head in a sack, or applying with some other neatly toned witticism of a similar kind, the happy application of which, inciting considerable admiration in the mind of Mr. Chitling, was remarkable that the later gentleman and his partner invariably lost and that the circumstance, so far from angering Master Bates, appeared to afford him the highest amusement, inasmuch as he laughed most uproariously at the end of every deal, and protested he had never seen such a jolly game in all his born days. "'That's two doubles and a rope,' said Mr. Chitling, with a very long face, as he drew a half-crown from his waistcoat pocket. "'I never see such fellows, you jock, you win everything.' Even when we've got Carl's Charlie and I can't make nothing of them. Either the master or the manner of his remark, which was made very ruefully, delighted Charlie Bates so much that his consequent shout of laughter rather as a Jew from his reverie induced him to inquire what was the matter. Mother Fagin, <laughs> cried Charlie, I wish you'd watch the play. 
Tommy Chitlin hadn't won a point in our white partners with him against the awful and dumb. Ah, ah, said the Jew with a grin which sufficiently demonstrated that he was at no loss to understand the reason. Try him again, Tom, try him again. A more for me, don't you think it? replied Mr. Chitlin. I've had enough. That air daughter such a run of luck. There's no standing against him. Ha ha, my dear, replied the Jew. You must get up very early in the morning to win the gifts of the daughter. Morning, said Dialy Bates. You won't pour your boots on overnight and have a telescope in each eye and an opera glass between your shoulders if you want to come over him. Mr. Dawkins received these handsome compliments with much philosophy, and offered to cut any gentleman in company for the first picture card at a shilling a time. Nobody accepted the challenge, and his pipe being by this time smoked out, he proceeded to amuse himself by sketching a ground plan of Newgate on the table with a piece of chalk which had served him in lieu of counters, whistling meantime with peculiar shrillness. My precious dough, you're Tommy, said the Dodger, stopping short when they had been a long silence, interesting Mr. Chitling. What do you think he's thinking of, Fagin? How right, no, my dear, replied the Jew, looking round as he plied the bellows. About his losses, maybe, or the latest little retirement in the country that he's just left. Ha ha ha! Is that it, my dear? No bit of it, replied the Dodger, stopping a subject of discourse as Mr. Chitling was about to reply. What you say, Charlie? I should say, replied Master Bates with a grin. He's uncommon sweet upon Betsy. See how he's a blushing. Oh my eye, here's a merry-go-rounder. Tommy Chitling's in love. Oh, Fagin, Fagin, what a spree! Thoroughly overpowered with the notion of Mr. Chitling being the victim of the tender passion, Master Bates threw himself back in his chair with such violence that he lost his balance and pitched over upon the floor, where, the accident abating nothing of his merriment, he lay at full length until his laugh was over, when he resumed his former position and began another laugh. Never mind him, my dear said the Jew, winking at Mr. Dawkins, and giving Mr. Bates an uproving tap with the nozzle of the bellows. Betsy's a fine girl. Stick up to her, Tom. Stick up to her. What I mean to say, Fagin, replied Mr. Chitling, very red in his face, is that there isn't anything to anybody here. No more it is, replied the Jew. Charlie will talk. Don't mind him, my dear. Don't mind him. Betsy's a fine girl. Do as she bids you, Tom, and you will make your fortune. So I do do as she bids me, replied Mr. Chitling. I shouldn't have been milled if it hadn't been for her advice, but it turned out a good job for you, didn't it, Fagin? And what six weeks of it? It must come some time or another, and why not in the middle of the time when you don't want to go out walking as much, eh, Fagin? 
Ah, to be sure, my dear, replied the Jew. You wouldn't mind it again, Tom, would you? Asked the Dodger, winking upon Charlie and the Jew. If that was all right. I mean to say that I'll shorten, replied Tom angrily. Ah, no. Oh, who says Mozart, I should like to know? Are he fading? Nobody, my dear, replied the Jew. Not a soul, Tom. I don't know one of them would do it besides you. Not one of them, my dear. I might go clear off if I'd split a bone air, mightn't I, Fagin? Angrily pursued the poor half-witted dupe. Well, for me, would have done it, wouldn't it, Fagin? To be sure it would, my dear, replied the Jew. But I didn't blab it, you know, Fagin, demanded Tom, putting question upon question with feet all inability. No, no, to be sure, replied the Jew. You're just too stout-hearted for that. Do you too stout, my dear? Perhaps I was, rejoined Tom, looking round. If I was, what's to laugh at? Ain't not again. The Jew, perceiving that Mr. Chitling was considerably roused, hastened to assure him that nobody was laughing, and to prove the gravity of the company, appealed to Master Bates, a principal offender. But, unfortunately, Charlie, in opening his mouth to reply that he was never more serious in his life, was unable to prevent the escape of such a violent roar that the abused Mr. Chitling, without any preliminary ceremonies, rushed across the room and aimed a blow at the offender, who, being skilful in evading pursuit, ducked to avoid it, and chose his time so well that it lighted on the chest of the merry old gentleman and caused him to stagger to the wall, where he stood panting for breath while Mr. Chitling looked on in intense dismay. Ork! cried the Dodger at this moment. Oh, uh, the Tingler! Touching off the night, he trapped softly upstairs. The bells rung again. Ting, ting! With some impatience, while the party were in darkness. After a short pause, the Dodger reappeared and whispered Fagin mysteriously. What? Alone! The Dodger nodded in the affirmation, and shading the light of a candle with his hand, gave Charlie Bates a private intimation in dumb show that he had better not be funny just then. Having performed this friendly office, he fixed his eyes on the Jew's face and awaited its directions. The old man bit his yellow fingers and meditated for several seconds, his face working with agitation the while, as if he dreaded something and feared to know the worst. At length he raised his head. Where is he? he asked. The daughter pointed to the floor above and made a gesture, as if to leave the room. Yes, said the Jew, answering a mute inquiry. Bring him down. Hush, quiet, Charlie. Gently, talk. Yes, scarce, his brief direction to Charlie Bates, and his recent antagonist, was softly and immediately obeyed. There was no sound of their whereabout, when the Dodger descended the stairs, bearing the light in his hand, and following by a man in a coarse smock-frock, who, after casting a hurried glance round the room, pulled off a large wrapper which he had concealed the lower portion of his face, this closed, all haggard, 
unwashed and unshorn, the features of Flash Tubia Crackett. Oh, you fagey, said this worthy, nodding at you. Put that shawl away in my castle, Dodgers. You may know where to find it when I cut. That's a dumb day. You'll be a fine young cracksman of all the young file now. With these words, he pulled up a smock frock and, winding it round his middle, drew a chair to the fire and placed his feet upon the hob. See there, Fagy, he said, pointing disconsolately to his top boot. Not a drop of day and morn said you know when, nor a bubble of blackened bar jove. But don't look at me in that way, man. All in good time. I can't talk about business till I've eaten drinks and produces sustenance. Let's have a quiet fill out for the first time in three days. A Jew notioned to the dodger to place what eatables there were upon the table, and seating himself opposite the housebreaker, waited his leisure. A judge from appearances, Toby was by no means in a hurry to open the conversation. At first the Jew contented himself with patiently watching his countenance, as if to gain from its expression some clue to the intelligence he brought, but in vain. He looked tired and worn, but there was the same complacent repose upon his features that they always wore, and through dirt and beard and whisker there still shone, unimpaired, the self-satisfied smirk of Flash Toby Crackett. Then the Jew, in an agony of impatience, watched every morsel he put into his mouth, pacing up and down the room, meanwhile, in irrepressible excitement. It was all of no use. Toby continued to eat with the utmost outward indifference, until he could eat no more. Then, ordering the dodger out, he closed the door, mixed a glass of wire, and water, and composed himself for talking. First and foremost, Fagy, said Toby. Yes, yes, interposed the Jew, drawing up his chair. Mr. Crackett stopped to take a draught of spirits and water, and to declare that the gin was excellent. Then, placing his feet against the low mantelpiece so as to bring his boots to about the length of his eye, he quietly resumed. First and foremost, Fagy, said the housebreaker, House Bill! What? screamed the Jew, starting on his seat. Why, you don't mean to say. began Toby, turning pale. Mean! cried the Jew, stamping furiously on the ground. Where are they? Sykes and the boy! Where are they? Where have they been? Where are they hiding? Why have they not been here? The crop fails, said Toby faintly. I know it, replied the Jew, tearing a newspaper from his pocket and pointing at it. What more? A farm ain't the boy. We cut away with the fields and the bark with him between us. They didn't close fries. Raging ditch, they gave chase. Damn! The whole country was awake and the dogs upon us. The boy! Bill had him on his back and scurried like wind. We spilled to take him between us. His head hung down and he was cold. They were close upon our heel with every man for himself and each one of the gallows. We pulled company that the youngster lying in a ditch. Alive or dead, that's all I know about him. A Jew stopped to hear no more, but uttering a loud yell, and twining his hands in his hair, rushed from the room and from the house. 
End of chapter 25.